Hello. Welcome to Detox Podcast. I am Denise Walker, your host. This is episode 60. Hell yeah. (laughs) And it's called Numb. And I really love this one. This is the one I printed out on some promotional material when I would do markets and stuff like that. Little cards with poems on them. Um, I would do this one and uh, the one about forest fires. But yeah, so I'm excited. I'm excited to get into this one because I think it really captures, for me, the true essence of addiction, like what we're really talking about here. Um, Yeah, so when you hear this, if you listen to it on the first day that it airs, which will be Monday, September 30th, 2019. And I'll be on a jet plane, jetting my way back to Edmonton from sunny California, having done a Write and Rise SoCal Foodie Edition poetry workshop. Super pumped. <clears throat> I can't wait to share with you how that went. Um, in addition to that, My next workshop is going to be called Blackout. (laughs) Get it? (laughs) But really, I called it that because we're going to be writing blackout poetry. It's just a nice little uh, parallel, uh, turning a blackout into something positive and creative instead of wholly obliterating, right? (laughs) But yeah, if you're unfamiliar with blackout poetry, like I'm sure that you've seen it before. It's like words printed on a piece of paper but then a bunch of it's blacked out except for a few words or phrases to create a new piece of prose on top of a prose that was already there and you know I have a hard time with any sort of destruction of books I like it feels like you you ripped out my heart you know when people are like oh well we could just rip out the pages of the book and then um write on those or like We can cut out a bunch of the pages to make shapes. I'm just like, oh, no, I don't think so. (laughs) No, no. Oh, even for my very first book launch, um, I really wanted to have table runners made out of pages of books. And my friend was like, oh, we'll just take your book. Like, we'll find some old books and we'll cut them up and we'll tape them together. I'm like, no, mm -mm, no. And what we did was we printed off uh, the telltale heart on a cream paper and cut it out so it looked like it was pages of books. It was really, it, it really looked good. So if you're interested in doing stuff like that, use cream paper instead of destroying books. I don't know, it's probably not economically or environmentally friendly to do it that way, but it just feels so wrong. So wrong. So yeah, um, that poetry workshop, work uh, uh, blackout, blackout poetry workshop is going to be on October twenty seventh. I want to say it's the last Sunday of the month, whatever that is in October. Thursday, the thirty first is Halloween. Yeah, the twenty seventh. Wow, was that super interesting for you to listen to me do mental math right there? (laughs) Okay, Uh, yeah, so tickets for that hopefully soon will be up. I'll let you know when that happens. Uh, But let's get into this, this lovely poem called Numb. 
You're a shell, perfectly hollow, a master of self-abandonment. Your sweet bones discarded lay fleshless and without defense. Back inside your mind, horrors await. Come back, they whisper. We found new ghosts for you to meet. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I wrote this. When I was sober, of course. But really realizing what that means. My whole life... I'd been abandoning myself. And that looks most obviously like addiction, like drinking copious amounts of alcohol to numb yourself and escape the reality of the present world and and to soften the edges of people's words or actions or the way they trigger you or make you feel. All the demands and responsibilities of your waking life that most obviously looks like addiction, which isn't always the most obvious thing to see. But out of all the things, that seemed to be the most obvious. And I started to to see what things were really like when you stopped participating in those kind of behaviors, right? So you you're there now, sober as all hell, and something comes up, a situation, <clears throat> a situation that used to happen all the time, a situation that you would normally drink at, you know, if you've got family issues, which I do, if they um, were starting to do the same things as before, the things that I used to drink to avoid, to cover up, to make me make myself feel better, uh, those things would happen in real time now in, so- in sober land. And immediately, my body would do, my mind, my body and mind would just do this weird thing where it would feel super triggered. And I could feel like, I could feel the information being absorbed by my body, but then like shoved away, shoved away into like this corner of my mind, even without the alcohol, like it was just whoop, gone. And I could hear it calling to me, saying, come back. Because I never noticed this before, right? I never noticed this, like, compartmentalization feeling happen within me because I was drunk. And, And that just makes it impossible to really understand what's going on inside of you. And... And it would be back there now as I'm sober and I'd be like, come back, come back, come, come see us, come visit us. There's stuff back here that you don't even know about. There is stuff back here that has been triggering to you all along, but you didn't even know. You've been drinking so much that there are just a bunch of like cobwebs and spiders and ghosts back here that you had no idea existed. And that's a terrifying feeling, right? To know that there's this, like, darkness, these shadows lurking just in the corners of your psyche that 
you know are coming for you. They are coming for you because you are no longer hiding from them. There is nothing, there's no barrier, there's no liquid poison barrier between you and these things in your mind. There's just clean sobriety. And that is scary as hell. But once you start to reflect on your life, you start realizing that these abandonment practices, these numbing tendencies, these like self-destructive let's reach the pain before the pain can reach us behavior has been happening for a long time, even before the alcohol started. I start thinking about, you know, I, I was self-harming long before I started drinking alcohol. And back then, like, It's so weird because back then, self-harm was almost like, oh, that just means you're emo. And, like, it's kind of weird, but it's kind of understandable. It wasn't... It was almost kind of normalized, in a way, for people in junior high to be, like, emo and, like, hurting themselves. And it it didn't occur to me that that is extremely fucked up. To actually be physically harming myself in a visible way to people outside of me, looking on me, that is a gigantic, gigantic red flag that something is horribly wrong. Right? Like, this day and age, if you had a friend who was cutting themselves and you saw the fresh wounds the next day at your, like, lunch date, there's no way in hell that you'd be like, oh, wow, you're really uh, pulling off the emo look today. Nailed it. Head on. Good job. Here, I've got some leftover eyeliner. Would you like some? Like, you'd be like, okay, what the fuck is going on, friend? You gotta talk to me right now. We gotta go... We gotta go fix this. Like, this isn't. Not that you're meant to f- fix people. That's not what I mean. Like, this needs to be addressed. Like, what do you need? What is going on that you feel so. so in need of controlling this very small part of your life? How do you feel so out of control in the rest of your life that this is the only thing you feel like you have control over? What is going on that you feel like you need to inflict pain upon yourself before the pain can catch you and do it to you instead? What ghosts are hiding in your mind and which ones are you letting slip past without even knowing they came to the door in the first place? They slipped right in with a whole other horde of ghosts that you were aware of, but they, you know, they all look the same. They're hiding back there. You know, that's like, self-harm is a very huge red flag. And like, I remember 
approaching my parents. I talked to a school counselor once. And like, as a, a young teen, like 13, 14 years old, you're not opening up right away, right? You don't even know how. You don't even, you don't have the vocabulary for it. You don't you don't have any idea of why this is really happening to you, you know? You don't have this like textbook dic- like definition of why you're harming yourself. So when someone asks you like why why? Like what are you supposed to what are you going to say? You're going to give some sort of like weird blanket statement something, something, I don't know, and, and it'll just, like, get brushed off to the side, right? Like, nobody dive, nobody dove deeper with me back then. <clears throat> and that's the thing. Most of these wounds for me are family wounds. And, like, most of us, right? The way we feel about our family and how they can consistently keep triggering us all the time. How come as children, like we're not responsible for the the way that our parents treat us or how they reflect their own childhoods back at us or they didn't have the kind of information and, and awareness that we do now about healing and not passing on generational trauma or like like my family had no semblance of boundaries and that taught me no boundaries you know and then so I have all of this stuff that's just like flooding me all the time and I don't and I feel like it's normal to just have to take it on I don't understand that there is actually this this other option to not do that so you have young Denise who's being flooded with all of this um all of this stuff that she doesn't know how to deal with and this is how this is how she deals with it. This is her outlet. <clears throat> like why don't we teach kids that? Why don't we teach kids about boundaries and and that and an agency and sovereignty? This, I don't know, I don't know. So I was doing that. And I was also like having sex with basically everybody. Um And I thought that that meant that I was in control of myself, right? Like I was this sexually free person, but, but to really think like what I was doing, I was, I was just going and having sex with people and then feeling like garbage afterwards, right? Like, because this was not an emotional love connection that was happening. I was searching for an emotional love connection, this moment of escape, but I was really using this. Uh, sexual encounter to deflect from anything that was going on with me, right? Typically, I would be drunk, actually, 100% of the time while participating in these escapades. So, like, I'm sure some of you can relate to, to like, what that kind of adds up to, right? You, you're you completely abandoning yourself while being intoxicated. You're completely abandoning yourself when you're having senseless, meaningless sex with someone who isn't going to give you what you're searching for. And then at the end of it, you're completely empty. 
your shell. You have no more flesh left. Your bones have been discarded. You're just nothing and you're numb. You're perfectly numb. And that's exactly where I like to be. And then <clears throat> my father was admitted a few weeks ago for a major depressive episode from his bipolar disorder. And that was deeply triggering. It brought up a lot of memories from the last time, which was a time um, eight years ago that was really intense for our whole family. Um, he was arrested in front of us because he was in psychosis. The police had to like arrest him under the Mental Health Act and form him, form 10 him. And he was taken to the hospital. And there's a whole series of events that happened that were really hard for all of us to deal with. So when this happened a few weeks ago, uh, it brought all of that back. Last time, I was deep in alcohol addiction, unknowingly at the time. This time, this time I was sober. But my brain still did that weird thing. That weird thing where it took this information from this event and just whoop, put it in this little box inside my brain. And I couldn't feel anything. I felt numb, right? I was like, whew, this seems like something that should be really, really hard. And I'm not dealing with it. It's in there in my brain creating little ghost babies. And I'm not even drinking. I'm not self-harming. I'm not having sex with randos, you know? It sounds sound like randals. Randals? A whole bunch of people named Randall? randos, random people. <laughs> I'm not doing that, right? Like, I, so I had to make this conscious, like very conscious decision to be like, okay, I have to open, open this up. I can't just let this little tiny box up there sort of like fester and rot away. It's, it's just up there, you know? And so when this, when things happen with my father, typically I just, um, I don't tell anybody. I have a sister that I love and we have a really great relationship and we just kind of support each other in that way. Um, it's really amazing to have somebody who can witness and, and validate all my emotions because she sees it too and and she feels it too. Sometimes I feel she feels it more than I do. Um, she never turned to alcohol or drugs. That must have been hard. Because that's the thing about this stuff, right? It works. It, it doesn't cure. It doesn't 
treat, it just covers up. You know, like it just makes you forget about it for a little while. But eventually, but eventually you have to deal with it. So here I am, this little box in my head filled with ghosts, and I'm like, okay, let's try this a different way. (laughs) Excuse me. Let's see what happens if I actually just straight up open up about this. So as soon as I found out about this, I turned to my coworkers and I announced that my dad had been admitted to the hospital, something I never, ever, ever do. And I shut down basically pretty much immediately. I didn't really elaborate. (laughs) Excuse me. Oh, sorry about that. Um, And I texted my friends. I even posted on Instagram. I posted this whole, um, like, series of what was going on with me and what was happening with my dad. And that way I got an outpouring of support. People messaged me so much and I felt heard and seen and so many people that I could talk to, avenues of healing I could go down, you know. Um, I really should have gone to therapy, but I didn't. I don't know... um, I have this thing that I've noticed where everything, this is another part of abandonment, right? Um, I have this tendency. It's this whole like non-boundaries living throughout my whole life and taking everything on is that nothing feels bad enough. I know some of you hear me on this because not I feel like I can take all of it. Like, I can take this. It's not so bad. You know what? More trauma. Just give it to me. More emotional shenanigans. Sure, I'll carry your baggage. What kind of pain do you have today? Let me put that on my back. No problem. You know, like, I can take it. I can take it. It's never bad enough for me to say no. And I'm learning, and I'm getting better. And I straight up made some boundaries. My sister and I made boundaries with my parents just the other day. And it felt amazing. It felt natural. It felt good. It felt like the only option. It wasn't like this weird, like, oh my God, I feel like I'm in so much pain, but I can't say what I really feel. It wasn't any of that anymore. It was really good. And I feel like that means that I'm doing the work and it's, and it's working. So I, yeah, I, I feel like I can take on a lot and I'm working on that. I'm working on recognizing when when like just a little bit is is not okay it's going to take some time but it's happening <laughs> so i wonder if you have other things in your life that you use to abandon yourself with it can look like a million things like People-pleasing. You know, it looks like you saying yes to everything and never yes to yourself. It looks like
investing so much time in work and activities that you don't have time to self-reflect. It looks like involving yourself in a friend or family member's life so deeply that you're consumed with all of their issues and focused on them that you don't have time to focus on you. Are you too a master of self-abandonment like I? We all know that accepting that is the first step to healing. Because I don't want to be out of my body anymore. I don't want any more ghosts to slip in while I'm away. I want to be in my body. I want to feel present and here and in control. And when out of control things happen, We say no to them instead of saying yes, but then abandoning in all of these other ways. It's like saying someone wants to come to your house as if your body were a house. You have people in your life who say they want to come into your house and you say, that's fine. You can come over, but I won't be here because I don't want to be in the house with you. So you leave, you let them in your house and you leave. You don't hang out at your own house. Isn't that crazy? That would be weird, right? So what is the most appropriate response? You say, you know what? No, you can't come to my house and you stay in your house. You stay where you belong in your own house and you don't allow the people that make you feel like shit, the things, the information that makes you feel like shit, you don't let that in your house. I want to be in my house. (laughs) My own house, there's nothing more comfortable than, than being in my own house. So my friends, stay tuned for Blackout Poetry Workshop. Stay tuned for meditation. My next meditation class is on October. There's the first Thursday in October at 8 p.m. That's the third or the fourth. Very bad at dates today. <laughs> um, I'll be teaching meditation every Thursday in October in the evening. Lucidyoga.ca, check it out. And here is our lovely poem, Numb. You're a shell, perfectly hollow, a master of self-abandonment. Your sweet bones, discarded, lay fleshless and without defense. Back inside your mind, horrors await. Come back, they whisper. We've found new ghosts for you to meet. Thanks for listening. See you next time.